turn, if you will, to Paul's letter to the Galatians, second chapter, starting with the 15th verse. And when you have it, please stand. Galatians 2, 15 through 21. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Hear ye the word of the Lord. We are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentile. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is Christ Therefore, a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live now which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. Uh, my uh, Masonic brothers and sisters, uh, just to fill y'all in, we've been working this summer through Galatians. And so I've started with uh, chapter one, and next couple weeks I'm going to be spending each time going through Galatians as part of a series. And we've now reached Galatians chapter two after covering Galatians the past couple weeks, and I want to talk about rights. Rights are a, a, a legal, social, ethical principle of freedom or entitlement. Rights are what they call the fundamental normative rules about what is allowed for people or owed to people. According to legal systems, it's a social convention or ex, uh, ethical theory, rather, and rights are, in, are of essential importance in such disciplines as law, ethics, uh, especially theories of justice and a uh, big old $5 word that means deont that's deontology, just a word for rules. What does that all mean? It's about access. Access. What do you get access to? Uh, those of us who have had any kind of run-in with the law, we know about our Miranda rights. Uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and may be used against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney to be present while you are being questioned. 
and you have the right, if you cannot afford an attorney, an attorney will be provided for you at public expense without cost to you. Those are certain rights that you are afforded. Uh, this country was founded on the pursuit of uh, the rights of uh, life, the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, rather. Rights. There are things that you get access to. And I, as I read this passage of scripture, I am reminded. I see it as clear as it was. I am reminded of Brown 1988. I'm sitting in Northampton Village, an apartment complex in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I have most recently, it's about March 1988, I've given my life to Christ. After the preacher preached, I went down to the altar to join the church. And they said, you are eight years old. We don't think you understand what you just did. So, I remember clearly being at the uh, dining room table, rather, uh, in Northampton Village in Indianapolis, Indiana, and my mother going over, particularly this passage of Scripture, most focusing on Galatians 2.20. Rights access. What did it mean to be a part of Christ? What did that give you access to? And that was the passage of scripture that was going on. Uh, just to backtrack a little bit, Paul had some issues with the church in Galatia. There were people in the church in this region that said that everything Paul had said to them wasn't exactly right. Yeah, you were Christians. Yeah, you believed in Jesus, but there was a few extra things we needed you to do. A few extra things that needed to be taken care of before you could be in the in crowd. And these weren't people on the outside of the church. These were people in the church starting mess with other people in the church. I know y'all might not be used to that. I know every other church that y'all go to, everything is perfect and fine. And don't everybody gets along and everybody's fine with staying in their lane and doing everything they need to do. But this church in Galatia, this region, they had some trouble. And so Paul had to write this letter to the church to get them straight. He basically had to tell them in a nutshell that Jesus was enough. Jesus didn't need no assistance. Jesus didn't need no extra things to be done. Jesus was enough. And so he has this thing where he is getting them straight because it is people in the church telling them that they are not good enough. They haven't done everything they need to do in order to be saved. And so he got that straight in chapter one. And then in chapter two, he's reminded of an argument or a disagreement, if you will, that he had with Peter. See, Paul was preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. And he was preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised because most people were acting like this Christian thing was just step two of Judaism. So you had, they thought you had to be born Jewish and you had to take care of the Jewish practices and then you could get access to the Messiah. Because Jesus was a Jew and Jesus was a practicing Jew and so that's what they thought this was. And so there were people who were following the way because they didn't necessarily call it Christianity at that time, but they were following the way who were not born into it. And so because they were not born into it, Peter would go to these places, and he wouldn't necessarily eat with those who were uncircumcised. When the uncircumcised people, the people who weren't practicing the faith like he practiced it, 
This was before Rise, Peter, Kill, and Eat in Acts, where he finally understood what was going on. But prior to that, if you sat down at the table and you weren't circumcised with him, if you weren't a practicing Jew with him, he got up from the table. And he would go retreat to somewhere else. Can you imagine trying to be in a fellowship hall and when you sit down after service to eat with somebody, they all get up from the table? Because you are not worthy to be around them. And so Paul had a disagreement with Peter about this. And he said, hold on. It is faith, not circumcision or any other practice that gives you access to Jesus. And it saves not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. It is faith. So he took action. He took, he took uh, uh, issue with that. He had a, a rebuke. There was a need for a rebuke. Say, re- let the church say rebuke. He was reminding them that you didn't save yourself. Yes, you got this big old position. Yes, you got all of these accolades. Yes, you are somebody. But you didn't get there on your own. You didn't get there by anything you did by yourself. Yes, you might have worked hard, but I guarantee God worked much harder for you. You didn't do it on your own. And so if you didn't do it on your own, who are you to tell somebody else that they are not worthy to be around you? So there was a need for the rebuke. And this is an argument that is set all the way back at Antioch. And the first time he brought the argument up, Paul kind of lost the argument. But Paul was right. And when you are right, sometimes you don't need to give up after the first defeat. And then there was the nature of his rebuke. He told them that it was, it was faith and not circumcision that allowed them. And now these were believers, mind you. Again, I'm not talking about people outside of the church causing this stress. These are people who all supposedly believe in Jesus. It's real hard to fight a war with an enemy wearing the same uniform as you. It gets a little confusing. Both Paul and Peter were Jews by birth. And by the law, they were saying that Gentiles were sinners. But and when Paul says that in the text, he's not calling them sinners to mean that he's not going to be around them. He's just using the language of the day. And the works of the law is used in 15 and 16 three times. So it's got to be something important. It's referring, it's using to distinguish the Jews from the Gentiles. And there were things that were done like circumcision, like dietary restrictions, you know, none of that delicious bacon and ham and crawfish and crab and lobster. Y'all, y'all have to forgive me. I got a, a shellfish allergy, so I'm, I'm just, I, I get a little warm around this time of year. I'm watching everybody enjoying that good stuff and knowing that my throat will close up if I were to eat that. So I might get a little warm about the shellfish, uh, but y'all, y'all forgive me. But these are the certain things that they were doing and Sabbath keeping and restrictions of other, other things. That This is not saying, uh, 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 I'm, I'm hearing my professor's voice right now when I say this right now. We have to be careful not to be anti-Semitic with our sermons. Uh, so I will stop right here and say that when they talk about Jews and Judaism and Jewish practices and all that, that is not all Jews. And not, not only that, but Jewish people are not bad people. I, and I would submit to you that if anybody is preaching anything negative about Jewish people, that they are not preaching the same Christianity that Jesus intended. 
not everybody had this opinion about Gentiles. And not everybody that had this opinion about Gentiles was the only Jews around there. This was just a mentality that they were going to. Everybody wasn't writing around with the laws written upon their arms and their eyelids and everything so that they could see it and not break all 600 plus laws. This was when they talk about the works of the law, this was more of a mentality of thinking that you could work your way into heaven. This is the mentality of thinking that everything you did would count more for you than it would the next person. This is a mentality of thinking about that you could be justified by your resume, your spiritual resume, your Masonic resume, your job resume. You think that you could be justified by what you've done. Ah, but the text says when he said that nobody could be justified in the law, Paul was referring to the 143rd Psalm, where it says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications, and your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness. Do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no one living is righteous. No one living is righteous enough to enter heaven upon their own. That's what Jesus is for. That's why Jesus died for our sins. That's why Jesus went to the cross. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nobody could work their way out of hell. <laughs> Nobody could work their way out of hell. Nobody was capable of keeping all those laws fully. All that was about was establishing a relationship with God. The relationship was what it was about. The relationship is what kept it important. And that, was, and that relationship allowed us to get access to the gift of Christ's righteousness through the blood of his atonement. He died for our sins. Faith does not merit God's acceptance. God accepts it. Christ's merit, rather. And when you hear about the justified and justification in the text, a, a, a better word would be rectify, rather, and righteousness. Uh, rectified is to be free from the power of sin that operates both through condemnation and compulsion. Condemnation, the expression of very strong disapproval, censure, the act of condemning someone to a punishment, a sentencing, and then there's compulsion. The act or the state of forcing or being forced into something, some sort of constraint, an irresistible urge, if you will, to behave in a certain way, especially against one's conscious wishes. We were born into sin. And some of those sins come by compulsion. We have an irresistible urge to do those things. And some of those come by condemnation when we think that we are better than somebody else. When we think that we can do more than somebody else. When we have the audacity to look down on somebody else, not understanding that we are just as bad as them. Sometimes worse. I got some Bible for that. The Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory. All, not some, not half, not three-fourths. Not just people on this side and not on that side. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And when you talk about that justifying, that making right, that rectifying, that changing the situation, the justified is in past tense in the text. And it's in past tense because that meant God was doing the justifying. 
if the law is what humans do, then God is justifying us through the Spirit. And that word can also mean, when they talk about it, is faith. the word used for faith also means faith and faithfulness, fidelity, or trust. God is placing our tr- his trust in us, allowing us to do these things and allowing us to give access to the kingdom. The people that Paul was arguing against were saying that those who eat with Gentiles are sinners. And so they didn't want to be, gen- they didn't want to be sinners themselves. And they figured if you ate with Gentiles being a Jew, that you were a sinner. So they, they backed away from the table. But these are the same people that Jesus had cleaned up. So they were not only disrespecting the Gentiles by getting away from them, talking about they unclean, they were disrespecting Jesus. If you're saying that somebody that Jesus has made right, somebody that Jesus is allowed to take in and clean up, somebody that Jesus has saved, if you're saying you don't want to be around them because they're sinners, you are saying that Jesus wasted his time. Let me ask you something. Do you think Jesus wasted his time on the cross? Do you think Jesus wasted his time going to Calvary? Do you think Jesus wasted his time raising from the dead? If Jesus did the job, there's no reason to go back around him and correct it. Jesus don't need no help with his work. And he says, certainly not when he says, but if we seek to be justified by Christ and we ourselves are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? So he's saying, not only if you don't want to be around these people, not only... (laughs) Did Jesus not do it? But you're saying that Jesus is spreading sin by disrespecting those who Jesus has saw fit to save. Do you think Jesus is spreading sin? Uh, I find it funny when I see anytime I see by no means or certainly not in the King James Version of the Bible, or the New King James, because I understand when I go to look up those words, certainly not is not strong enough for what he's saying. He's actually saying, whenever you see in the Bible from a letter from Paul, certainly not or by no means, the closest translation of that in modern day English is a no. And it's a no that is followed by something else or, or preceded rather by something else in front of it. Sometimes you, you would put a place in front of it. Uh, I'm in the pulpit, so I don't want to disrespect the pulpit. But when he's saying it, the, the closest translation to that, there's a song <clears throat> to the now, to the now, now, now. That is what he is saying about it. He is that strong. He is that adamant about saying that Christ wasted his time. Did Christ waste his time? No. Is Christ, is Christ spreading sin? No. No, he's not spreading sin. How would you even suggest that? But that is what you are suggesting when you say that somebody that Jesus cleaned up, somebody that Jesus saw fit to save, somebody that Jesus redeemed and atoned for his sin, somebody that Jesus gave access to heaven, you saying that they're not good enough? That is what you are saying. Being set apart is about elevating your character not changing your zip code. 
some of us tend to think that if we've gotten saved and that we sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost and covered in the blood of Jesus, oh God, that, that we aren't allowed to be around other people that we think are down from us. But that's not what that means. It's about elevating your character, but you still got to go out and reach out for the least, the last, and the lost. What if God thought about you the same way you thought about them? I'm so glad God didn't think about me the way we think about other people. We'd never be good enough. There is no one that is righteous. No, not one. What Jesus did is enough. And when he died, when Paul says he died to the law, it's the same as saying Christ died on the cross. I am crucified with Christ. My sins are going up on the cross with him. That guilt, that condemnation, that blockage of going away from Jesus, that's going up on the cross with him. God sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. And whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so just like Jesus died on the cross, those sins of ours died on the cross as well. And once was enough. Once was enough to give me the rights to the keys of the king. Once was enough to give me the rights to access heaven. Once was enough for me to have access to be forgiven. And it doesn't say anything about getting away from people. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but the Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself from me. It doesn't say I've been crucified with Christ. Now I'm moving away from y'all suckers. I've been crucified with Christ and now I can't hang around y'all no more. I've been crucified with Christ so I need to be set apart from you all and you all need to come out from among them. That's not what the text says. It says it's no longer I who live, but the Christ who lives in me, but the, law, the life that I live to the flesh. So he's still amongst the people. And we ought to still be amongst the people. I, I, it, it pains me to understand and know that in the, the, the Houston metropolitan area and its surrounding area that there are over six million people. And at any given Sunday, only 400,000 of them are in, are in church. And it's not because they have a problem with God. It's not because they have a problem with Jesus. It's not even because they have a problem with the church as a whole, big C. The problem is they have a problem with the people in the church. We, we come up with this club and we've made it real hard to get in. Hello. Hello. We've put together this club and we've made it hard to get in. And if you happen to sneak in, we're going to treat you bad until you decide to leave. How we treat people determines how people come to Christ. 
not a couple of hours on a Sunday and maybe another hour on a Wednesday. That does not bring people to Christ. It's how you act out in the world. How do you treat people? How do you speak to people? How do you respond in certain situations? You are, are all the only Bible that some people will ever read. You all are all the only sermon that some people will ever hear. I tell the church all the time that you are somebody else's perception of a Christian. They are judging whether or not they want to get to know this Jesus in the pardon of their sins based on how you treat them. And if they see you treating everybody like garbage, then they don't want nothing to do with that. I get enough of that every day. I get enough of that from my family. I get enough of that from my job. I get enough of that from my school. I get enough of that from everywhere. Why would I go somewhere to get more of that? How we speak to people. How we treat them. How we operate when we think nobody else is looking. All of that comes into how somebody makes a decision about Jesus. All believers are to live by faith in the indwelling of Christ. It's, it's one thing to think that whatever you do, nobody's looking, but somebody's always looking. Even if you don't see anybody physically around, there's somebody looking from afar. And even if there's nobody looking for afar and you are truly, truly by yourself, you are not by yourself. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It is not I who lives but the Christ who lives in me. So everywhere you go, you're taking Jesus with you. You got at least one person to witness what you did. You got at least one person to hear what you said to them. You got at least one person to see what you've done. We are to live by faith and the faith of the indwelling Christ. Christ in us gives us access to heaven. We get to exercise our rights. And then it says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. I like that word, vain. Because what they were saying there, when you look up the translation for it, it's also a word for gift. It's also a word for gratuity or a tip. If righteousness comes through the law, what kind of gift are we expecting? You know, when you go out to eat, you give a tip based on the service sometimes. Now, you know there are people who work in the service industry that, that feel like the tip should be a certain amount no matter what the service is because sometimes when you think it's bad service, it's stuff that has nothing to do with them. But either way, what you put on that second line before the total when you swipe usually is reflected by the service. How did they treat you? Did they respond to what you needed? Did they give you what you asked for or, and then some? God gave us the greatest gift of all. His son, Jesus Christ. 
the one who knew no sin, put on human flesh, lived a life that I couldn't live, died a death that I couldn't die, and became the perfect sacrifice. And he didn't do that for nothing. He didn't do that for something small. He did it for all. And it was enough. That's all that was needed. And that what he did dissolved the distinction between Jewish and Gentile, male and female, Greek and Hebrew. It dissolved all of that. There is no more distinction in Christ because of what he did. And it was enough. And because of that, we have rights. We have a right to avoid death, hell, and the grave. We have a right to say death has no, no victory over us. Where is your sting? We have a right to be the head and not the tail. We have a right to be above and never be beneath. We have a right to be the lender and not the borrower. We have rights. Because Jesus gave us access to that. You can try to build your own way into heaven if you want to. But why build something that's, that, that's already been taken care of? Not one for double work. Not one for doing something if somebody else has already taken care of it. And Jesus took care of that. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.